Hey, we're beginning a new series today uh, looking at called the, the Lamb of Wall Street. And we're going to be looking today at economies and the, uh, the economy that we live under. You know, an economy uh, is a system for distributing goods and services uh, throughout a society and allocating resources. Do you, do you want me to wait till you write that down? And I, I know you're blessed that I shared that with you uh, this morning. Yeah, you know, econ- I, I'm guessing I'm not the only one here in the room that economics wasn't your favorite subject in, in high school or college. I, you know, it seems like there's just those people that they just really, they really love that stuff. And then, and then there's everybody else, like nine out of ten of us that think, how do I get out of this class? But uh, yeah, that, economies are pretty significant though because they are kind of what defines and directs how things happen in a world. And whether you were an economist or not, I would imagine a lot of us know, okay, well, I think what the two main economies in the world are capitalism and socialism. And yet I'm going to suggest to you today that those are not the two major economies in the world, but rather the two major economies are God's economy, God's system, and man's economy, and man's system. And you know what? We do well to know which one we're living under. Which one is shaping and directing our lives? Because these two economies are actually further apart and more different than even capitalism and socialism. You know, this winter there's been a, a movie in the theater. I would imagine you've seen it, or not seen the movie, but seen the advertisement. Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. I have not seen that movie, nor would I see that movie. I did have somebody, a friend of mine, to go see it. And I think they left within five minutes. I'm guessing it's a pretty inappropriate movie. But if you watch the trailer, if you see the trailer of it, you get very clearly man's idea of what money's all about, what money means to us. And money is strength. Money's power. Money's pleasure. Money's about self. Money's one of the primary tools we have for driving my agenda, who and what I am in this world. If we give our life, if we give our focus, if we give our work to money, it will give us the things we want, the things that make life so good. At least that's kind of the idea that the movie is going to present to us. Of course, the question we have is, which economy are we living under? The Wolf of Wall Street or the Lamb of Wall Street? While the Wolf of Wall Street will sell money to us, I think the Lamb of Wall Street is going to want to know what economy we're serving under. And we do well to know. Because one day Jesus is going to evaluate the economy that you and I have given ourselves to. You know, the Bible has so much to say about money. I mean, just to put it in perspective, there's roughly 500 verses in the Bible on faith. And faith's a big topic, isn't it? There's about 500 verses in the Bible on prayer There are over 2,350 verses in the Bible on the handling and the management of money. If we look at just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the four books about the life of, of Jesus Christ on this earth, I would not say that money is the most important topic that the that the Gospels address. I'm not even sure if I'd say it was the top five most important topics that the Gospels address. It is the most frequent topic that the Gospels address. Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. As a matter of fact, I thought what we might do here is just give ourselves a little sampling. Hear Jesus talking 
about money. Look at a couple of verses. You're just getting a feel when Jesus was talking to people, talking to an audience. What was he saying? Obviously, this is not all the verses, just a few of them. He told them, he says, hey, listen, you got to watch out for money because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going. Wherever you're putting money, wherever you're sending money, your heart is going to follow. Your heart follows your money. He says another time, you cannot serve God and money. Do you know that you and, you and I sometimes think that we can? We can think we can have multiple dominant priorities in our life. And Jesus says, no, you can't. There's going to be one dominant theme. There's going to be one dominant God in your life. Third thing he says, therefore, render to Caesar or give to the government the things that belong to the government. And give to God the things that are God's. Do you approach your budget with an understanding that there's a portion in there that belongs to God? You know, I think a lot of times when, when the offering plate comes by and we put something, we think we're giving a gift to God. We're not. We're returning to him what is his. And there's actually a portion that he says is his. And Malachi 3 says not to return it makes us a robber of God. I wonder what kind of blessing, what kind of help, what kind of guidance from the Lord we'll get on our finances if we're standing in the status of a robber of God. Another thing that Jesus says, he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, your life is not measured by what you have. Now, your life is going to be measured. You, you are going to stand before God and your life will be measured, but he's not going to be measuring your life by the amount of money you have or the, or the toys that you have. That's not what is the evaluation of your life. Another place, he says, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So there's just a little sampling of Jesus talking about money. But you know, I'm still left with this question. Why? Why does the Bible address money so much? Why does Jesus address money so much? I really thought about that question this week. Why? why I mean, I understand the importance of it and why we got to get that right in our lives, how big it is in our lives, but why so much? I came up with three reasons. These are my three reasons. It's an opinion. This is why I believe it is addressed so many times in so many ways. Three things. Money is where we choose our God. Money is where we choose our God. Number two, money is, is where we choose the time that we're going to live for. The time that we're going to live for. You've got to come back next week to see what that means. Third, money is where we choose our lifestyle. And that might mean something a little bit different than what you think. Now, these three things are going to be the three topics that we're going to look at in this series, The Lamb of Wall Street, which means today we're looking at this idea that money is where we choose our God. Now, money is not the only false God in the world. Money's not the only thing vying for our allegiance as a God. Sex can be a false God. Alcohol can be a false god. Accomplishment, achievement can be a false god. Uh, a certain person, or maybe not even a person, but just the idea, a certain kind of relationship can be a false god in our lives. Folks, the truth is, almost anything, we can make almost anything a false god in our lives. And a false god is that 
which we adore. Now, we adore a lot of things, and that doesn't make them a false god. This is a different kind of adoration. It it is a focus. It is an adoration on that one thing as the giver of life. When I have that, when I achieve that, I'll have life. I'll have life, I'll have meaning, I'll have purpose, I'll have worth, I'll have security, I'll have strength, I'll have happiness. It's what we look to as the giver. It's what we look to as the enabler of life. And, And while there are a lot of things that can vie for that role in our life, the Bible and God continually refer to money as kind of one of the lead illustrations Uh, of that whole band of false gods that we can give ourselves to. As a matter of fact, just think of Jesus saying you cannot serve God money. Think about the audience that he says that to. First century, there in Israel. Imagine a crowd he's talking to. As a matter of fact, it was given in the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine hundreds, thousands of people. And Jesus says, listen, you guys, you've got to watch out You've got this incredible tendency in you to battle between serving God and money. Now, you know the crowd he's saying that to? They probably didn't consider themselves poor, but by our standards, they were poor. They had the clothes on their back. They didn't go home and open up a closet. Okay, I'm going to change clothes after work and into my going out tonight clothes. They didn't do that. They didn't have that. And their home would have been... Folks, it had been little more than shelter. Uh, You know, a place to come in out of the elements, a a place to sleep, maybe a place to hide the few little belongings you had. What they called a home, most of us would call a bedroom. Most of our living rooms would be much bigger than the home that these people lived in. And, and, And 401ks, savings, retirement, that was no thought of theirs. Today. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'll worry about making tomorrow happen. Okay, so by our standard, these folks would have been poor. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, you got to watch out for this tendency between God and money. If he would say that to them, what would he say to us? And everything in our lives is driven by money. Folks, it's real. Money is real. And it is a real source of strength. It is a real source of security. It is a real source of opportunities in our lives. It's our worth. That's what the Wolf of Wall Street would say. Money is your worth. You are valued at what you have. That's that's a very real thing that we have to deal with. What would the Lamb of Wall Street say? Well, I mean, didn't we just hear him say something about that in that verse? Hey, you're not measured by that. And not only is it not all that you're declaring it to be, you got to watch out that you don't make it a God. As a matter of fact, I've been quoting just the, the last part of Matthew 6, 24. Let me read the whole verse. It says there, no one can serve two masters. You know, I think sometimes we think we can kind of go back and forth and, and there's multiple things that play kind of top spot in our life. Really what's happening is most of us, we, car- we compartmentalize our life. And so I have the Sunday compartment. You know, that's my religious compartment, my spiritual compartment. And I, I've got my family. That, that, that's a compartment. And, and I've got work. And I've got hobbies. And inside these compartments, oh, we have a, you know, somebody, a thing, an idea, a person that's important. That's kind of the top of that compartment. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because you see, folks, something rises up above all compartments. 
Something rises up above all the pieces of our lives and has authority to give direction. You're not going to have multiple gods. We have one God ultimately that is directing our lives. And he's saying, hey, listen, be careful that you don't let money rise up. You can't have two masters. Don't lie to yourself. You'll hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here again, Jesus is coming back and using that as an illustration. You could take out the word money and put in anything. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in sex. You can't serve God in accomplishment. You can't serve God in people's approval. You can't serve all those things. But he puts money there. And I think here's the reason why the Bible over and over and over is using money as an illustration. It's because money is the most universal competitor for the God spot in your life and in my life. It just is almost universal that we are going to deal with it. We might deal with other things, but we all deal with money being a competitor. And God's saying, hey, listen, you only have room for one. Only one idea, one person, one thing is going to rise into that God spot. And money is almost always for all people a competitor for that spot. And here's why. Because money makes things happen. That's real, folks. I think sometimes we're not supposed to acknowledge that in church. (laughs) No, No, in a real world, money is making a lot of things happen. And when you and I are where the rubber meets the road, where we're trying to make life happen and things happen, we look at money and money makes it happen. And when we get stuck in that philosophy, you know what happens? We begin to look at God as a competitor. We we look at God as, as infringing and that's why we could talk about all kinds of topics in church and there's excitement. There's, we start talking about money and there's a little bit of awkwardness in there. A, a, a little bit of discomfort. What's God trying to, what's God trying to nose in on my stuff for? Well, I thought he has, I thought he's the God who has everything. Why does he need my stuff? You see, we start looking at God as a competitor to our stuff. You know, folks, money has really kind of become the tree in Genesis 3. You remember the story there in the very beginning of the Bible, that tree and what happened at it with Adam and Eve? Here Adam and Eve are. They're living in a perfect relationship with God. They're living in a perfect world. And God has met all their needs. Not a lot of their needs. He's met all of their needs. He, he has given the entire planet to them is at their disposal. Everything on the planet belongs to them except one tree. I know, you read this story there, it's hard not to say, you know, Lord, if you'd, have, if you'd have not put that tree there, I think a lot of this mess could have been cleaned up. We could have kept a lot of this from happening if you hadn't put the tree there, Lord. But folks, that tree is so, so important. You see, that tree becomes the place of choice. Where do we choose to acknowledge that God is God? You know, you know, if God's given us everything we need and we say, okay, God's God, but if God is God, then doesn't that mean God has the right to say that's a yes and that's a no? If God's God, does he have a right to set rules and to, and to set parameters? Well, of course he does. Yes is the answer. Okay, well, where do we choose to acknowledge that? That tree became the place where we acknowledge, hey, God's God, and he said no to the tree. But it's about more than acknowledge that God's the rule maker and he gets to set the rules. It's also about trust. Hey, I believe that God is good. 
And I believe that God has provided for me everything I need. So whatever's in that tree, if God has said no, then that tree's obviously not what I need. And I choose to trust that. And because I choose to trust that, I then choose to obey. That's a place where I can choose to obey. I mean, God's given me everything I need. I live in this perfect world, this perfect relationship. Where do I choose to acknowledge Him as God? Where do I choose to show my faith in His goodness? Where do I choose to obey? You see all that tree represented? And then came Satan. Then came Satan with the temptation. And folks, the temptation is not about, it's not about a piece of fruit. It wasn't about somebody being hungry that day. The the temptation was not about an unmet need. The temptation was this. Come here. God's holding out on you. God's keeping something from you. On that tree represents something where you could be more. You could be more than you are and God's keeping you from that. Oh, if you, if you have that tree, you don't have to depend upon a God. You, you can be the source of your wisdom. You can be the source of your strength. You can be God. You don't let God hold out on you. Don't let God hide that from you. You see, folks, the temptation became as simple as this. Satan led us to believe that God should be doubted. That his word should be doubted. That he didn't have our best interest in mind. That he was holding out on us. And, and we fell for it. We, we, we went for the tree. I'll, I'll go for being God myself. Now that tree's not on the earth anymore. But those trees are all over the earth. And over and over and over what the Bible says is one of the most dominant trees that we deal with is money. In that money, I have security. In that money, I have meaning. In that money, I have strength. I have opportunity. In that money, I have a God. See how easy it is to start looking at money as the, as the great enabler, as the great strength of life. You know, there's a number of us in this room that we, we have a favorite Bible verse. I don't know what everybody's favorite Bible verse is, but this is one of them that seems to land on a lot of people's T-shirts. This is one of them that gets needle-pointed a lot. I, is that how you needle-point? I think so. We needle-point this. We put it on the wall. We've got a picture of it. It's on the refrigerator. Philippians 4.13. I can do... Oh, see, y'all know this. Yeah. Y'all know this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, what, a, what an awesome thought. Did you know that was a financial statement? Did you know that that verse is totally about money? You're saying, no way, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Well, let's do something crazy. Let's read the actual context of Philippians 4.13. Let's see why Paul came to the conclusion that he can be and do everything he needs to be and do in Christ. He starts this way in Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You know, Paul used to, he used to roll in the dough. He was a, he was a community leader. He was kind of up in the, in the chain of things. He was wealthy. He had a lot. He also spent some time in prison. He also spent some time hungry with nothing. So you kind of understand that history of him as you start to hear these next few phrases. 
He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low because I have. And I know how to abound because I have. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Shh, I'm tell you all a secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. And I've learned the secret of hunger. Hey, listen, I've had a belly full. And I've had the grumblings. I've had it both. And I have learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, you know what? It's so easy to think it's money that enables you. But he says, you know what? I've had the money. I've used the money. I've also gone without the money. And I've learned this. Really, only one thing counts in life. And that's what Christ has called me to be and do. And do you know that when I had a lot, I was able to do what Christ called me to be and do. And when I had absolutely nothing, guess what? I could still be and do what Christ has called me to be and do. Money is not the enabler of my life. Christ is my strength. Christ is my enabler. Now, do we believe that? Okay, thank you. One person. You and me, we're in this together. Yeah, we believe that. I know we do. Man, across this room, we believe, absolutely, that's my faith. That's my trust. Okay, let me, let me dig at this a little bit. Would you all allow me to do this, pick at this a little bit? Let, let's see what is the real enabler of our life. Even if I got a t-shirt that says Philippians 4.13. Okay? I'm going to give you the best week of your life. Just meet me right out here in the concourse afterwards. And, and I'm going to give you a choice. There's two things. I'm going to give you the best week of your life. You get to pick when you get out there. Number one, you can choose to have more Jesus than you've ever experienced in your life. I will give you something. I will enable you this week to experience Christ like you never have before. His power, his presence, his wisdom, his help. I'm going to give that to you. Or you can take what's behind door number two. A check, clean and free, for $50,000. Which one do you want? Oh, that's not fair, is it? <laughs> you know what, folks? Let me, let me back up from my question for a moment. The point of the question is not to pit Jesus against money. You can have one, but you can't have both. No, that's, not, that's what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible is saying. Folks, the Bible does not say that money is evil. It does not say that having money, using money, acquiring money. It doesn't say any of that is evil. Now, it does say the desire for money can lead to great evil. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's what the wolf of Wall Street is all about. That the desire for it can lead to great evil. But having it, using it, that's not evil. So I'm not trying to pit, okay, you get one choice in life. You can have Jesus or you can have money. That's not what I'm doing with this question. You say, well, then what are you doing with the question? I'm trying to get us to see just how real this issue is in our lives. Because we don't want to be told. Nobody in church wants to be told money's their God. And so the moment that idea starts, we just dismiss it. Not me, uh-uh. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's dig a little bit. Okay, when I say you can have more Jesus than ever before, what, what does that mean to you? What, what comes to your mind is going to be able to happen this week? Ah... Uh, See, I guess I'd, well, I'd, I guess I'd be happier, right? Right, I'd be happier. Maybe, maybe I'd have a greater sense of peace. Well, you know what? I've got this big problem in my life. Man, I've been wanting God's direction and guidance on that. I guess if I've got more Jesus, I'd get that guidance and, and that direction. And I don't know why. I just, I think, I guess, I think a lot of us, we'd be kind of fumbling around to know exactly what more Jesus means. But a check for $50,000, there ain't no vagueness there, is there? 
Man, 50,000, doesn't your mind kind of race what could happen? Man, if I had 50,000, if somebody put that in my hand today, I'd take care of that problem. Let's see, I'm, we'd be able to do this now. And uh, there's something else. But these two I know, wow. And folks, as Monday became Tuesday and you began to, to do those things with that 50,000, I'm going to tell you something, come Friday, you're going to be one happy person. Tell me you're not. You are absolutely going to be one happy person at the end of this week. See how real the money is? I would dare say that across this room, if I put $50,000 in your hand, within 30 seconds, you would know what you're going to do with most of it, if not all of it. Within 30 seconds, you would know exactly what that money can mean, what it can do for your life. And I'm guessing it put a little spring in your step as you left the church today. But the idea of more Jesus, we kind of grasping it. You know, I think it would... Yeah, I want that. I know it would be good things, right? I mean some, some important... Folks, I, I want to suggest that if the money's very concrete and more Jesus is a little bit vague, then there's a real possibility that despite what we say our beliefs are, we really do see money as the great enabler of life. We really do see it as what would absolutely enable and make this week the week of all weeks. And folks, if we're seeing money as the enabler, then guess what? You got a false God in your life. That's hard to hear. You don't want to hear me say that to you? Guess what? I got news for you. I don't want to hear me say it to me. For church people, that's just a horrible idea. And so we immediately dismiss it without really evaluating what's going on in our lives. Folks, Jesus didn't say you can't serve God money because because one or two of us in here just might somewhere in life struggle with that. He said that because we almost universally struggle with that issue. Almost every single person on this planet, it doesn't even matter how much money you have. He said it to what you and I would call poor people. It's almost a universal issue, meaning it's something we should all be sensitive to, something we should all be evaluating. Folks, today's message, it's not about budgets. It's not about whether you've got a good budget or a bad budget, living on a budget. It's not about what you spend or what you don't spend. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's not about giving. It's not about any of these things because all of those things are products of a choice. Today's message is about the choice. And here it is. Here's the choice you've made and are living in. Not the choice I'm calling you to make. You've already made it. Every one of us has made this choice already. Now, we can change the choice and might need to change the choice. But here's the choice. I'm either going to use money to serve my God. Or I'm going to serve money as my God. Now, when I say use money to serve God, I'm not just talking about giving, because that's what we expect to hear at church, right? You know, give, 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 give. And that's what it means to serve God. And obviously, giving is a part of how we serve God with money. But folks, the Bible is filled with 
2,350 some odd verses, and they're not all about giving. They're about debt. They're about saving. They're about spending. They're about managing a household and caring for a family. God speaks to the whole realm of finances. And when I'm living by God's principles, when I'm living under God's directives, then all of the money is used for serving him. So which one are we doing? Are we using money to serve God or are we serving money as our God? And as you go to answer that question, obviously we're sitting in church, so we right away want to get over here to where we say, oh, I'm serving God with money. One more last question. What evidence would you point to in your life? Because it's not a kind of sort of, oh, I wish, I think. There is evidence right now in your life of whether you're using money to serve God or whether you're serving money as your God. The wolf of Wall Street, hands down, say, take the money. Money works for you. Money makes the world go around. Money will give you what you need and what you want. You know what the Lamb of Wall Street would say? He would warn you and me, be very careful. Because if you're not, your money will one day leave you broke. Let's pray. Father, I would pray for myself. How I'm handling money, decisions I've made recently. I would pray for all of us, the wisdom, the courage, the faith. To not just immediately dismiss the idea that I might be serving money as a God. And take a real look into my life, into my checkbook, into my finances and see what the evidence would suggest. Lord, I don't, I don't want, I don't think most of us in here would want money to be our God. So help me really look at my life and evaluate what's happening. And God, I thank you that as I go to do that, as we go to do that, we can ask for your help and there's a God of grace there. There's a God of grace that will forgive, a God of grace that will help and that will guide and and will get us to where we need to be. For your good and your glory, for our good and our well-being. Lord, we live in a society that is just so overwhelmingly dominant about what it communicates about money. I pray my life and my home would be clear and dominant in communicating your economy. In communicating that you are the great enabler and the great strength of life. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.